0: Hello students and welcome to Class of X, the free internet course on how to read and enjoy the X-Men comics better. I'm your teacher and host and today we're concluding our discussions on Jonathan Hickman and Teenie Howard's massive crossover event, X of Swords. That's right, it's part two of our first two-parter and it's just me again. I'm here to talk into a microphone for far too long About these X-Men and their swords. And last we left off, we were talking about the remaining sword bearers for the Krakoan side of this big tournament. Being set uh, by the Omniversal Magistrix herself, Opal Luna Saturnine. Sometimes I say things into this podcast that makes me sound like a crazy person, and that sentence is one of them. Thank you for joining me for this episode. I'm really excited to finish talking about X of Swords. Like I said about in the first episode, I was... Probably like a lot of you, very confused and overwhelmed by this crossover event. It's very big. It involves a lot of parties, some that are old historical elements of the X-Men canon. Some are brand new entries into this library. It's got a lot of pieces to keep track of. And upon reading it for the second time, I have fallen in love with this story. It is such a... A fun adventure it is high fantasy it is drama it adds to this the the lore and canon of so many characters it draws upon so many callbacks while also just creating great new instances and great new just inflection points for the x-men can you tell I'm a fan of this story, and I'm trying to get you all to be a fan as much as I am. And I'm gonna do that by doing what I do best: trying to explain the X-Men to you guys. And we were talking, like I said, about uh, we were at a point in the story where there was all this setup with the uh, the um, Horde, um, with the original uh, Okara. Uh, mutants who are now part of Arako. Araco and Krakoa are the split parts of Okara, um, the original mutant island. And now they're in this big sword tournament for who gets to win and fight and take over Otherworld and defeat opal luna saturnine and then eventually come through and take over earth and so it's it's the big stakes are being set up and so we're caught here at this point where uh the through a a prophetic statement uh given out by saturnine and told through polaris um we're finding these remaining five sword bears and i think the last person we left off we were talking about cable and his sword of Galandor? Galador? I can't remember. Um, there's even parts of the X-Men lore that I can't keep track of, and it's there's a lot of lot of names for swords in this story, and I can't remember all the names of the swords. Um, but I can name all the sword bearers, and we're going to go through the remaining five, and then we're going to talk about the Blades of Araco, who are the people that are fighting for the Arakan side of the tournament. Um, we're going to touch a little bit about the little side story going on with the Hellions um, in... I think it was Zeb Wells was writing the Hellions, which I, I could do a whole episode on the Hellions. And I bet you I'm going to do a whole episode on the Hellions because it's so good. Um, and then we're going to talk about uh, the actual tournament itself and the results of that tournament. And that's, that's my outline for today's episode. So once again, thank you for joining me. And let's talk about a very soft boy. Let's talk about one of my favorite soft boys. It's Cypher. Cypher's not a very well-known popular character in the general X-Men world. He wasn't like a big person that was included in the cartoon. He wasn't anything that was a part of the X-Men film universe. He's really, you know, he's just someone that people who read new mutants know about. Um, He, like I've said before, Cypher is the member of the new mutants that died that was the big catalyst, you know, death in the New Mutant story, similar to how Thunderbird was the first X-Men character to die um, in the line of duty. Cypher was that. And so that kind of put him on the back burner even more so than he already was because his power is not an aggressive uh, like in your face power he is a translator he understands language he can speak and understand almost anything he can hear he loves coding um, which makes sense to why his best friend is a mutant alien named warlock um, who is part of the technarch race who are these techno-organic beings that assimilate. They're very much like the Borg, if you know Star Trek. Warlocks, uh, Technarchs are like the Borg. And Warlock is if there was a Borg character who... Warlock is 7 of 9, except 7 of 9 was, like, converted back to human. Um, But Warlock is... he's, He's a Technarch who has empathy and emotions and that's not part of their race and so he's a mutant and his best friend is cypher he has this great like yoda-like way of talking and he he throw he he mishmashes words together and the way he he colloquially and and um enthusiastically refers to cypher is that he is his self-friend um self-friend cypher you know he says that a lot um and so Cypher is the sixth sword bearer and he's the, he's the odd man out. You know, we got magic who has her own soul sword. We got Wolverine who's this, you know, cowboy samurai. You know, we've got, uh, all these people who are meant to have swords, even storm. Who's not been a sword holder. It's like you give storm a sword and you're like, that makes sense. That woman holding a sto- a sword. That makes sense. I would follow her into battle. But Cypher, he's a pacifist. He's the voice of Krakoa. That's his job on the island is he translates the the, the speech uh, of Krakoa, the island they live on. Um, and he is designated as a sword bearer. And so uh, it's it's there's a lot of people with mixed feelings about him, including Warlock, who is his sword. Like Warlock, who has these metamorphosis abilities um is is going to be his sword um but everyone else like thinks that cypher should bow out somehow you know magic who is trying to train him a little bit with sword fighting even she's like "Eh, he can't do this krakoa the island itself like it uses mondo this generation x character to like to force a message to cypher who's ignoring krakoa to like beg him, don't go i I need you, you're my voice, I am connected to you i I you know, I even read it as like Krakoa loves cipher, I don't think it's just simply Krakoa is. Uh, saying he shouldn't go because you know he doesn't want to lose its voice. But I think it's because like him and Cipher, they're like buddies, like they're 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 partners, and so like he doesn't want to lose his friend. Like if you only had one friend on the island who could talk to you, you don't want to lose that friend. That's a very important friend. And then Cipher even has this interaction with Exodus, who's this zealot, uh, who who's an a mega level telekinetic, and he's like, "You should not go. If I killed you right now, which he knows that he would be." resurrected eventually so he knows that it's not like a a forever crime but he's like if i kill you right now then they would have to find a replacement um and i think it's Krakoa that like basically like pauses that moment enough for cypher to make a a, a a argument for himself but even cypher knows that he shouldn't go but he must he doesn't want to shy away from this duty and it's very i love it i cypher's story in the X of swords like uh crossover is is beautiful and we'll get to where it gets the most beautiful in the end. But I love that he's included in the sword bears. The two other sword bears that are the most complicated part of the story are the twins, Brian and Betsy Braddock. Um, They are, they are such a mixed up family. The Braddocks. Oh my God. Drama, drama for days. Um, If there was like, if the X-Men had, you know, a keeping up with the Kardashians, show it would be based on the braddocks and all of their family and all of their mixed up history and situations i mean you've got a a younger brother who is acting like an older brother and his older sister constantly kind of lives in his shadow and he's this flag-bearing uh superhero the 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 like he's the captain america of england um and, uh, there's just all this mixed up drama with them and Saturnine, who's been a part of their family for a long time because Brian was the captain of the, the, the captain Britain Corps, Um, and Saturnine low key just loves him and wants him and thinks that he should be hers no matter the fact that Brian is like married and has a kid, um, Saturnine also like hates betsy i'm not quite sure on why she hates betsy i think it's mostly because she's not brian (laughs) and poor betsy like she was it should have been that in the origin of it all betsy should have been captain britain from the get-go but she decided she didn't she didn't want that responsibility and so she let brian take it up and brian's this big himbo of a character that took upon took up the mantle of captain britain and has been that for for so long but he's not right now and that's what pisses off saturnine is that brian stepped down from the captain britain corps and B- elizabeth betsy finally uh took up the mantle and is now captain britain and saturnine doesn't want her to be captain britain um yeah she's like stuck with him and can't have brian even as her captain or as her lover and so saturnine's very upset it's almost like there's very much a like uh a plot line in the X of swords, which this whole thing is just kind of like a way for Saturnine to maybe get Brian back, not back, but Brian. Um, and it's like all this fighting is happening just because she's, she can't have the boyfriend she wants, um, which I love. <laughs> I love the drama. Um, the Braddocks in general are their own complicated matter as well. Uh, cause like, you know, we've got all the history of like, Betsy uh being trapped in a body that was her own for so long she was like she's also trapped in the closet literally trapped in the closet well metaphorically you know gay people aren't literally trapped in a actual closet um but she's in the closet she's in the shadow of her younger brother they also you know uh you know her younger brother has always wrestled with his own years you know for years with his own duty and his honor and even alcoholism they've got like an omega level brother also who is like insane and is sometimes their foe but sometimes their friend um that's jamie jamie braddock um who is the head of avalon part of other world right now you know other worlds like nine different uh factions and avalon's one of them and that which is like the land of like you know arthur and the knights and all that kind of stuff and unicorns and uh so jamie's in charge of that right now he's an omega level reality warper um and so yeah there's all of that drama and then what they're they're fighting in the story about brian trying to give betsy the sword of might which is this this sword that is the the other side of the captain britain core the captain britain people are presented with an amulet or a sword and depending on which one they pick is determining whether or not they're they're worthy it's kind of like the thor hammer thing or excalibur and the stone and if they pick the amulet that means that they are not trying to you know rule by might or be a, a a hero by might and so that means that they are worthy of being captain britain and because Brian isn't Captain Britain. He was offered the Sword of might. And the first time he used used it without a purpose, he became this like being of just anger and, 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 uh, kind of almost like a, a villain. He's an antagonist. And so that's why he doesn't want to use the sword anymore. And he's trying to offer it to Betsy for this, for the, uh, the tournament, but even Betsy doesn't want it. She kind of wants to have a fight with him, uh, at the same time about like, you know, cause she thinks that he wants to be Captain Britain again. um, And and she doesn't she knows that Saturday doesn't want her to be Captain Britain. And so Betsy's like, everybody doesn't want me to be Captain Britain, but I know I should be. And so they're kind of having their own quarrel there. But it all gets wrapped up kind of in a a happy ending where Brian uses his manly charms to to kind of like distract. S- Saturnine long enough for Betsy to get the real sword she's going for, which is the Starlight Sword, which is made from the pieces of um, Saturnine's uh, 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 base, where all the 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 nexus of all the multiverses, her 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 um, castle, and uh, and she and Brian tricks her with the kists, and they manage to get the Starlight Sword and brian finds purpose finally for what to use the sword of might for he's going to use it to protect and oversee his brother uh, over avalon so they finally have their swords they finally have their purpose they kind of come to an agreement and understanding of each other and saturnine's not happy about it but we've got our next two sword bearers and that's brian and betsy braddock um and then our uh what is it ninth we're up to nine yeah we're up to nine ninth sword bearer is dad himself apocalypse who uh is really the crux obviously of a lot of this story of this conflict between uh araka and uh krakoa um and we get more about his backstory that he was we know he was he his he was separated from his family but we finally learn like why he was separated and he was left by his family because he was thought of not fit for the fight that they had to go to and he's we find out he's been kind of paying this price of being left behind for millennia and now he's he's you know pretty gung-ho and putting a lot of pressure on himself to finally make up for that now that he's reunited with his family but they're clearly more broken than when he left them and he's bound and determined to be fit this time, and he's going to be fit by using his favorite sword, um, which was actually uh, this sword that was made by his sister-in-law, Iska the Unbeaten, um, whose mutant power is she can't be beat. Um, and so, yeah, Apocalypse goes to goes to Egypt um, and opens up what these four crypts that are clearly... Uh, like the four crypts of his children, um, the four horsemen, and each crypt holds a piece. He has His sword breaks into four pieces and he recrafts his sword to be ready for the sword fight. And the 10th sword bearer, um, I'm kind of sad about this one. He's the, he's the only one who doesn't get a story. He doesn't get um, really a, any, any sort of backstory or any quest to find his sword. It's Gorgon. Um, and Gorgon is actually a really interesting character that I, I kind of like I'm sad that they really didn't invest any more time I know they had this this story is already too long it's like 25. 25- High end issues. It's already too long. I understand you got to cut things somewhere, but he's so interesting because I don't think a lot of people know who Gorgon is. They don't like, and he's he's very important when it comes to the tournament later. He there's a he's 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 a big turning point for the tournament, but we don't get much about him, and we don't learn like they don't really introduce him to the audience, and they don't really introduce introduce him that he's this tragic prodigy that you know is gifted but doesn't want to live with these gifts he's given when he's younger. And it's all made worse by this mutant power that he has where he can't look at people without turning them into stone. And so he basically operate operates as someone who is who is visually impaired. And he like there's so many cool things about Gorgon that he like I can't even list them all. The man made like when he was like a teenager devised and a mathematical equation that unequivocally uh, proved the existence of God. And then later on uh, is gifted with swords that, are, that is literally called the God Killer and makes it his quest to kill God. <laughs> it's fantastic. That's Gorgon. He's also like uh, a captain for Krakoa. He's one of the captains and he's like the Quiet Council bodyguard. He's just so cool. Like they, the Krakoan era is, the best part of the Krakoan era is what they've done to add to the story of villains Of the X-Men villains and in many instances rehabilitate them which I find so therapeutically poetic Um, and Gorgon is one of those and I don't know you could tell that I'm salty that they just didn't like give him more time he's there with Apocalypse and Apocalypse gets his sword and that's about it for setup for poor Gorgon Um, if you uh, maybe we'll do an episode about his origin and backstory because he's a relatively new character in the past like I don't know 15 20 years um, and I would love to kind of introduce you guys into this this interesting, he's kind of a Wolverine character and he's kind of a Daredevil character as well because he's, he's connected to the hand. Um, and so he's very fun. We Maybe we'll talk about him more later and we're going to talk about him more in this episode when we get to the tournament. But first, I'm going to quickly go through the Blades of Araco, so we make sure to, to point all those out. Um, I'm really trying to keep this episode not going for forever um, and so I'm going to be kind of trying to swiftly travel through some of these points because um we haven't even gotten to the tournament itself um the blades of araco are thusly uh apocalypses kids war and death they're the two that are going to fight for in this thing war is also the mother of another Swordbearer summoner who we learned a lot more about in the last episode he's the one that tricked apocalypse into opening up the gate and causing this whole mishmash to happen he's a little piece of crap um, he, uh, and his mutant power is invulnerability and he also is trained in the ways of the summoners from a and can summon monsters and that kind of thing. And then we also met the, the third sword bearer in the last episode when Wolverine was getting his sword and that solemn who, uh, killed war's husband. And so there's drama there, um, we also, you know, death, like I said, is one of the sword bearers, and he's also is like part of this weird mutant tradition of having bad ouchy eyes. You know, we got like cyclops. We just talked about Gorgon. Death has just a death stare. Um, there's a lot of mutants that have uh, no no eyes. Um, you know, we always talk about there's so many blue mutants. We don't only really talk about the no no eyes mutants, the ouchy eyes mutants um we should make sure to point all of those out because i think there's even more than the three i just listed um we also uh there's the the fifth sword is the white sword of the ivory spire who's this um, interesting immortal healing mutant um that is only participating in the tournament if like uh you know the the horsemen uh specifically war beg for it um he's a fun character i like him a lot um and then there's we meet red root the forest who's actually the the uh uh version of cypher he's the voice or their i don't i don't know what their pronouns are they are uh the voice of Arako, um and really cool design and we don't really learn much more about them they're just kind of a, a character that's added to this whole tournament and and that's about all they did with uh the red with red root um but i I thought they were interesting, and then we also have Iska the unbeaten who can't be beaten wonderfully complicated and interesting character um I love Iska um she's so she's so mysterious, and I want more Iska content, just like I want more uh content of the eighth swordbearer, Bay the blood moon who is also this new mysterious character that's mutant powers called the doom note. It's a little bit like black bolt. It seems where her voice is, you know, powerful enough to level mountains, but she uses like a different version of her voice to speak. But this version, this doom note version of her voice cypher can't understand. He thinks it's so fascinating that, um, she has a language that he can't understand. And we'll get into why that, uh, it kind of connects even further later on when we get to the tournament talk. But then the ninth <laughs> funniest, I think it was the funniest sort bear of Araco, is Pog your pog. Any Pog your pog fans out there? There's one right here talking into this microphone. Pog your pog is so funny. I love when they just make clearly characters like we're going to make a silly character. This is a silly character, but he's going to be fun. Weird design but just cool. He's in it. He's also um I think he's the only non-mutant um on the araco side of the blades which uh there's one non-mutant on the krakon side that's brian brian is a human if i didn't make that clear he's not a mutant and so he's the only i think he's the only human on that side and then on araco pogger pog is literally just a demon um there's mutants there's demons and then there's demon mutant hybrids uh in Amenth, um eh, or in the Amenthi team and pogger pog's a demon um, and then the final one is Genesis, uh, Apocalypse's wife, um, who is we find out is the one who is underneath the Annihilation Mask and the holder of the Twilight Blade, which is what split uh, Okara in two to make Araco and Krakoa. Which, by the way, I feel like I need to say this in every episode. I know I get names and words wrong all the time in this episode. I call it, like, uh, Miss Marvel, Marvel Girl... Um, I'm sure I've just said wrong names all the time. I apologize. I'm just rattling off a lot of stuff off the cuff here and I'm talking fast and I'm talking into microphone by myself with no one else to check me on my facts. So I apologize in advance if I just misspeak. Um, yeah, this is me just apologizing, um, for my inadequacies. Uh, okay. So that's the blades of Araco. There's, I I wanted to briefly address The side story that was not part of the tournament, not part of the Swordbearers, not part of Apocalypse. It's the Hellions. They do tie in the Hellions into the X of Swords tournament. And the Hellions might be a mystery to a lot of people because they're not a team of people that anybody recognizes. They're full of like these odd characters that a lot of people aren't familiar with probably. The best way I can describe Hellions or at least Zeb Wells' run of it for the Dawn of X part, like this post Krakoa world... It's the X-Men's like suicide squad. It's That's the best way to put it. It's like they're they're a group of like mutants they don't know what to do with. There are a lot of murderers or ne'er-do-wells and they don't know what to do with them. So they're on a team with Sinister who is obviously scheming the entire time. Sinister perpetually thinks he is the main character because he is the main character to himself. He also, to himself, is the smartest one in the room. But he does play a buffoon a bit but it, it, he's secretly one of the most powerful mutants alive and i don't mean that on like on a mega level mutant level it's just his machinations and his his smartness and his his uh, his cloning and all that actually makes him very dangerous which does come to a head in a later crossover event that i will eventually get to which is sins of sinister um sins of sinister came out after i think x-men versus eternals um uh which we'll talk about as well because i loved it that's karen gillian at his best um and in this story with the hellions and sinister we also like we meet like we're introduced into a common problem with sinister which is him and his clones there's two sinisters um in this one you know has to go into uh other world for this mission they're doing and the other one stays but like their whole mission for getting into the world is is propped up as a way to help the tournament, but it's really just Sinister trying to get access to more mutant genetics, which he, he's kind of, uh, his, he's, he's, his butt is bitten because of this, where they meet uh, a mutant human, not a mutant human, a mutant demon hybrid, Tarn the Uncaring, who's this new character introduced. Um, and he's like the demon mutant version of Sinister himself. He just he does genetic manipulation without the need for the science of it. He does it with his mutant power, and he's almost worshipped like some sort of either religious head or even like a deity. Um, we'll talk more about the Hellions in general uh, when I get to a Hellions episode of the show because what we – are introduced with Tarn the Uncaring in these crossover issues. That's not the end of it. It it gets messier, even what you're reading in X of Swords later with Tarn the Uncaring and the, the, uh, what was it? The clone of Mr. Sinister that gets left in Otherworld and uh, is played with by Tarn. Um, anyways, we don't have time to get into that um, because I really want to try to get into th- talking about the actual tournament at this point. Um the title of the tournament the way to to read everything that happens from the the dinner where they all meet and all the way to the end is that everything is a game and the game we are playing is saturnine's game and the more you look at everything that happens in this story through that filter the more this will make sense um because like frankly between other characters from other world like merlin and roma and then all of the mishaps with the mutants and now araco saturnine is perpetually tired of people messing up with her need for order you all are making a mess of something that she's trying not to make a mess of L- at least that's her perspective she will she will find order and peace through like machinations and messing with people and even like she'll She'll completely destroy a universe if it means peace for the rest of the multiverse. Like Saturnine don't care. Um Saturnine is just like trying is like she's clearly trying to corral all of these kittens, and none of them are playing well. And I empathize with that so much. I realize reading this story, I was like, I I understand you, Saturnine. Um, I get it. You're just trying to get everyone to like stop making a mess of everything and I get that so i read the the, the time i this time reading x of swords i was very much a fan of saturnine throughout this she's definitely like a little villain um and i don't agree with all of her methods but i think you can understand with my adoration for people like emma frost why i and the queer community as a whole are fans of saturnine she's a diva she people should be dressing up her as drag queens um she's fantastic she is sinister thinks he's the smartest one in the room Saturnine is the smartest in the, one in the room. Well, maybe she thinks that she is. Sometimes she is because she's, she's also the most powerful one in the room and she knows that. Um, and, and, But she doesn't generally operate often by just force or even initially by force. She's too smart to know or to think that that force is the lasting way to run this hub of the multiverse. She knows that you have to be You have to be, you know, you got to work people. You can't just force them. You can't be a tyrant. That's what Merlin tries to do. Saturnine's like, I'm going to manipulate things like I manipulate magic. And that's what she's doing this entire time. Everything in X of Swords is a game. And she's toying with everyone. Whether it be the tarot cards she uses to start this whole thing. Whether it be even just the feast that they all gather around. And all the drama that happens at this like opening dinner whether it be what she does with introducing Apocalypse back to Genesis, you know, in that little meeting they have in the garden, she even like messes with Wolverine and and gifts him this vision of what would happen if Wolverine actually followed through with his ass- assassination attempt of Saturnine. I mean, it's all just little puppets on strings and I- I'm eating it up the entire way. I mean, this entire war between these, these warriors that are the ericoans and these peace loving you know mutants that are the crecoans like it's all a game uh, i mean it comes down to even just the first fight of the tournament it's literally her number one enemy uh elizabeth betsy braddock versus the woman who can't be beaten like that's not not on purpose like that's that is that is planned she literally was like i need to get rid of this fake captain britain so i'm gonna pin her against uh the one who can't beat and it's a fight to the death all right go um it's 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 all planned even if it doesn't look like it's planned it's all planned um and it's planned to a degree where the eric cohen's they are they are smashing the cohen's in this tournament like they are in you know a g- uh, game number two 25 and they're losing like 16 to 5 or like it was like 18 to 5 or something like that and it, it it all gets played around and they're all doing these either sword fights or these arm wrestling fights or even cypher has to get married to bay which is just chef's kiss great um and uh, it's it's all but it's all toying with them she's toying with them the entire time you know solemn uh, you know, Actually, it's uh, Storm and Wolverine are doing a drinking game against each other, which then turns into War and Solemn having a fight with each other. But then Solemn calls upon his favor that Wolverine is in debt to him by making Wolverine fight War after Wolverine just killed War's son, Summoner, in a sword fight. So it's all just it's 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 drama and i'm eating it up and we're feeding we're we're eating well we're eating well in this tournament i will say that and it all like leads to this great moment where gorgon bringing it back to gorgon who is the one is, who's is the only reason why they don't even where they have even a chance of winning where the krakowans haven't even a chance of winning where poor gorgon has to go up against the white sword who literally is like hey you have to fight my hundred uh boyfriends before uh, I'll fight you. I mean, it's Scott Pilgrim to like, you know, how many does he have to fight in Scott Pilgrim? Seven ex-boyfriends, ex ex uh, uh, partners. Um, it's 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 that times twelve, and Gorgon kills like thirteen of them, and it's not even until you know people say like this isn't fair, you're losing this for us that the White Sword finally steps in and then just murders. A wounded and and sick and 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 almost dying Gorgon, who is the the lasting uh death from this tournament for the Craig Cohen's. Like Gorgon hasn't come back since this happened. We lost Gorgon during X of Swords. I'm sorry to say that. I just introduced you to this awesome enigmatic character. And then at the same time, he's gone. He has not been brought back. Um as they said at the beginning of this tournament, you die in world, you die in real life. It's very much the matrix. Um, and you know, but he, he, he heroically levels the playing field, um, and makes it so like almost the entire tournament was pointless for Saturnine's enjoyment because it just comes down to what we knew is going to come down to apocalypse versus Genesis mom versus dad you know split family brought together in a fight finally which is predictable but just because you can see it coming doesn't mean that this the journey along the way isn't fun and and i think that's even a lesson that like the writers are trying to teach with this but also they're teaching it through saturnine's enjoyment of games um you know we know we it, 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 we know these things are coming but we can still just love the story like we know You know, the ring is going to make its way to Mount Doom and we know the Jedi will win. We know Harry Potter will be the savior, but you still want to see the final fight. Um, And when it comes down to it, like Genesis loses, but it's made clear that the annihilation helmet, this annihilation deity really only allowed this game to proceed because they assumed they would win no matter what. Um, And they betray the rules of it once at the end of apocalypse and Genesis fight concludes and Genesis loses um, and, and and they betray the rules by by then going like, ah, I'm going to have a war anyways. Yes, we lost. Wartime. And Saturnine also knew what she was doing and she knew this was coming. Um, except for one thing. One thing she couldn't predict was that she had this whole thing planned out that through this all, she was going to get her Captain Britain Corps back, which got uh, destroyed during these uh, uh uh in what are they called it was the these the, the Jonathan Hickman story where all of the universes were uh colliding um and uh, which was happening in different avengers titles um she lost her captain britain cart and she thought she was going to get them back through some magic but then it ends up being that betsy is still captain britain and the captain britain core is going to be reformed in her image um which is just again poetically beautiful um you know it all turns into this giant fight where you know now the X-Men are just flat out fighting all of the you know Amenthi horde and the Amenthi summoners are bringing in all the demons that have been kept back in the actual Amenthi dimension in response to this fight um which then is responded by magic using her teleportation you know abilities to bring the biggest sword they can literally a giant space station called the sword um and through that, and all of the stuff going on with Jean Grey and Cyclops, Cyclops and Krakoa, this is also how the actual X Men team, the team of the X Men, which hadn't been formed yet in this new Krakoan era, um, they're reformed as like a new task force that is needed. They're like they realize there there is a need for there to be an X Men team and Jean Grey and Cyclops are going to step down from the quiet council and they're going to be the leaders of the X-Men team. And that's, that was, that's introduced in X of swords. If that's not made clear. And so then it all, you know, culminates in apocalypse, making the ultimate sacrifice for love by donning the annihilation mask and making the only decision that someone who was unfit to fight could make. He surrenders for the horde. Um, and you know they utilize even like jubilee's son who's a dragon i can't get into why he's a dragon right now but he's a dragon who has fire breath that destroys um reality um but they use shogo's you know dragon fire to close the dimensions to you know uh all these demons that are coming through and once apocalypse surrenders saturnine then changes annihilation because it has to exist someone has to control the horde but she changed it so that it is no longer as powerful or as directly controlling as it was um and so it's all like everything has a purpose everything is for a reason it's all about change that's also a theme that's in this story you know things don't have to be destroyed or go away like it's like energy energy doesn't go away it all just changes and in these changes there's an ask for a show of good faith now that the the you know Amenti horde has surrendered krakoa has won and Otherworld is no longer in danger and um this show of faith is one how apocalypse is finally reunited with his family he is going to stay um it with the, uh, o- Okara and all of those, his children and his wife, and, um, or he's going to stay with them in Otherworld. And then Arako um, is going to be the one that goes back to uh, Real World and be reunited with Krakoa, which is what leads us eventually to uh, the Arakans um, going and living on Mars. I don't know if you knew that uh, headline Arako is on Mars. Um, and then it kind of all wraps up again where in the end where saturnine was in control um the entire time and it all wrapped up the way that she prophesied except for she still doesn't get what she wanted which is just brian like there's other guys get get over brian saturnine he's not that i mean he's he's attractive but like you've got a whole like multiverse to pick from move on um okay i don't know if any of that made sense uh again uh i just wanted to try to make sense of x of swords with you guys it took two episodes to get through it all i'm sure i've made some of you even more confused about this story than you were at the beginning of it and if that occurred i'm sorry for those of you whom this made more sense to you uh fantastic i appreciate that let me know um if uh, I missed anything or if there's more questions, you can uh, join us in the Discord. Um, Discord is available to all of our patrons. Um, uh, this, is a, this is a show that is uh, supported by patrons on patreon.com slash class of x or you can also use us the spotify question tool i know that's on there and i've seen people utilizing that but thank you so much for joining me for two episodes of x of swords Um, i apologize for this being this episode being a little late i appreciate you guys being patient with me and like the fact that this is a passion project that i'm doing in my spare time on top of all of my other duties of i don't know day job john and dad john and boyfriend john and all that kind of stuff but this was so fun i love talking about exoswords i love this being an excuse to reread it again i hope you read it if you didn't after you've listened to this episode i hope you go read it go read it it is too fun it's beautiful it's all on marvel unlimited there's even a reading guide on there so you don't have to like figure out which issues of which work um and yeah thank you so much goodbye